0: Last Saturday, uh, I got up early and caught a plane out of Charleston and went down to Costa Rica. My purpose was to go there to be with missionary and uh, his missionaries, John and Carrie Barnes. You've heard me talk about the Barneses. There they are. And uh, honestly, I've been in, I don't know, 25 or 30 countries now around the world with our missionaries. I'd have to say the single Uh, most effective piece of missionary work I've ever seen is probably the work of John Barnes. Uh, I know of nobody that has done in a missionary career what John has done. John came here straight out of his deputation, uh, and we've been supporting him now as a church every single month for over 40 years. So when you look at him, we have been very faithful and The missionaries say this to me about our church, you've never missed a single month. And I heard that twice this week from missionaries, that we make our commitments, and that's priority one with us. And so John and Carrie were my host for the week. Uh, He's been there 48 years, and uh, he went to Costa Rica four months after I came to Florence, So John has been at it a long time down there, and God has so used him. Listen to a brief report. He established 35 churches in Costa Rica, and they're all—Costa Rica is so small, they're all basically within the San Jose area, and uh, that's an area of about three million people or so, and he has 35 congregations meeting on Sunday. Some of them are small— uh, put his picture back up there again, if you will. Um, some of those congregations are 35, 40, 50 people, very just starting, and congregations of four and five and six and seven hundred people. So, when you put all of that work together, God has wonderfully used John Barnes. In addition to the 35 churches in the in Costa Rica, there are five that the young men they've trained have gone into Panama and established five Panamanian churches, and he has sent four young men into Cuba. Now, an American can't go into Cuba and have a ministry, as you are well aware, but a Costa Rican can, and they work sort of under the cover. But if you add all that up, John's ministry has produced 41 churches in uh, Costa Rica, Panama, and in Cuba, and they're all meeting this morning. They're all active. They're all serving the Lord there. In addition, he established a college, a small Bible college, and uh, they've turned out scores, hundreds of young men and women who are serving the Lord. And then uh, a few years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure, just decided to close shop in Costa Rica and move out. And they had this uh, 1040 window uh, uh, emphasis. And when they did, they had a beautiful camp. And they almost gave it to John. I think he paid $180,000 for it or something, came here and raised it. Last year, in that summer camp, they had 13,000 young people go through that camp in June, July, and August, every one of them being exposed, of course, to the gospel and Christian teaching. Now, that camp is where our young people stay when they go down there, and Chris here knows them. He's been down there so many times. Everybody was saying to me, say, hello, Brother Chris. So, hello, Brother Chris this morning from about 50 people in uh, Costa Rica. But, uh, boy, what a work they've done. And we send that team of young people down there every year. And uh, it's a very productive time for our young people as well. So, I arrived there on Saturday night, and I preached in two churches, one of about 500, 450, 500 people on Sunday morning. One was a smaller church, about 180, 190 people, I think, there. And uh, I preached there on Sunday evening. But my real purpose in being there was all, all of those churches come together in like a fellowship of their own. And they meet in the largest church's auditorium. It seats about 1,000 people. And they have four rooms that they put large screens in and there's about 100 people in each of those rooms. And so they have quite a crowd of people, as many as they can accommodate at one time. Then they live stream it, and they, they couldn't even get all their people into um, one, one place because of the size. And I preached there Monday through Friday night and had some extra sessions during the day with pastors and so on. And uh, the thing about it is the rainy season, when it rains every day, torrential rains rains like we rarely see here in in the tropics of course Um, but those rains began usually about the end of june or july well they started early this year every day about three o'clock it starts clouding up By four, it's raining. By five, I mean it's torrential, and it rains like that for about three or four hours, and it quits about eight or nine o'clock, right at the prime time. These people, many of them are riding buses and so on across the city to get there. I I, I looked out there Monday night, and I thought, oh, my, I've come all this way to preach. There won't be a baker's dozen here because these rains, and the place was packed. I walked in, and I just couldn't believe that people would come out like that in the rain. In America, 40 drops of rain can scare away a thousand Baptists up here. And uh, down there, didn't bother those people a bit. Boy, I mean, they just came in there. Some of them were even they'd gotten soaking wet from the curb to the wherever they came from to to the auditorium. And it was so great to preach to them. They don't get in any hurry in their services. They have about a half hour when they do various things. They had a skit one night and they have the kids sing and the youth sing and they're not in any hurry at all and then they sing for about an hour and then I got up to preach and you know, I'm on this American time. I gotta hurry, 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 hurry. And I believe I could preach two hours and it wouldn't matter to those folks down there. They their clock is set to come and enjoy the Lord, I'll tell you that, and they certainly do. And they and, and John and I talked on the phone, he said, I'd like for you to come and preach on the Acts 2 church. You've told me about your thoughts on that. So I preached the entire series that I preached here over about six weeks. I preached it each night, one part of it. The Acts 2 church has a big vision. It's never satisfied with where it is. Secondly, the Acts 2 church has a priority. Prayer is numero uno. And number three, the Acts 2 church has power. And their power comes because the people seek and are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He is their power source. And then the Acts 2 church has a program, and their program is witnessing. Is taking the gospel to anyone and everyone, all the world, and every creature. And then the last thing is the Acts 2 church, their mission is to make disciples, They're not content with getting decisions. They want to mature and grow people. And boy, I saw those preachers that John and the folks there, that ministry has produced. Some of the sharpest young men, the young man I preached for Sunday morning, he was a professional football. That's soccer down there. And he was being groomed to play on the national team. He was one step away from it. Just sharpest young man. And he just gave it all up to pastor a church and God is using him so wonderfully. So it it was, they worked me to death, but I came home spiritually refreshed. And that's probably even more important, isn't it? I had a translator. Obviously, my Spanish is not very good. His name is David. And uh, David had just finished translation school. He's one of the approved national translators. He can translate in their Senate or Congress or for anybody anywhere. He's got a certificate that and this is David, and so uh, if, I, if I say, now this is David, and take a break. I'm waiting on David, and David's not here this morning. Because for about the last nine times I've preached, I've waited on David. I try to give a complete thought, and then I'll let David explain it. So, David, I need you today, buddy. But uh, while well, I was there Wednesday, I went to see Lamar and Joanna Sally. They're from our church here. And there you see them on the right, and they're familiar faces. And they came to the service one night, I think Wednesday night. And I went to their home, and I ate a nice meal with them. And we went out on the patio, and there's the family. And you can't, that's, my photography was not real good, but there were five preachers there. And we spent part of the afternoon talking about the Lord's work, how to serve God, how to preach, how to build churches, and, and things like that. So um, I went over there to eat lunch, and we ended up spending the day uh, uh, just enjoying fellowship and talking with and trying to encourage those preachers. Then uh, Thursday night I ate dinner with, uh, Friday evening I ate dinner with Mark Perdue, another man that we've supported through the years. So I had a very productive week. Now, I learned something. I relearned something. Here's a point. Here's a principle. Uh, what did Chad say? Look up here. This is going to change your life. Look up here. I want you to hear this. It is our responsibility to sow. We never know who is going to respond. It's our responsibility to sow. We have no idea who is going to respond or how they will respond. I flew to Miami from Charleston, and uh, got in Miami. They were having a storm. The flight was delayed a while. And I got on the plane to go to San Jose and uh, got my seat. And after a few minutes, at first we didn't even speak. We just, I was just getting buckled in and getting my computer and Bible out so I could start studying. And there was a gentleman beside me. He was probably about my age. And uh, after a few moments, well, we greeted each other. And I introduced myself. Hello, I'm Bill. And he said, I'm Wolfgang. Well, if you meet a man from Wolfgang, pretty good chance he might be from Germany, right? And he spoke with a little bit of a German accent. And we talked. And I said, well, where are you coming from? He said, I've been in Geneva at a UN conference, uh, a conference on lightning strikes. And I thought, wow. I didn't know they had conferences on lightning strikes. But at any rate, he must be an authority on lightning strikes. And um, he told me his story. He is an executive with a company that builds surge protectors. And I said, like on my computer, huh? He said, oh, no, 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 no. Bigger than a room in your house. I said, what? He said, yeah, a surge protector bigger than a room in your house. We put them on power plants so it won't knock the plant out. We put them on huge buildings, skyscrapers. We even have one on this airplane. It's not that big, but we build them for airplanes. And so I thought, wow, I'm in the presence of somebody who knows what they're doing here. And uh, he told me all about him. I asked him, I said, I- is it true that there could be an uh, electronic, uh, what do they call those, electromagnetic pulse, EMP? And they'd shoot a rocket up, and it knock the whole power system out in the United States. He said, that's a very real possibility, and you better pray it doesn't happen. And he told me all about electromagnetic fields. And so I'm somewhat of an authority today now on <laughs> lightning strikes and electromagnetic whatever they are, you know, and my little tutelage there on the airplane. And uh, we enjoyed our talk. We talked nearly the whole time. I didn't get much work done. Wolfgang uh, was enjoying the trip. He ordered uh, some drinks about four or five times on the trip. When we landed in San Jose, Wolfgang had enjoyed that trip and was feeling a lot better than me. And, uh, but we kept talking. I didn't drink that, you know, but I kept getting ginger ale. Wolfgang kept getting something else. And uh, I said to him, well, what are you doing in Costa Rica? He said, my wife lives here. I married a Costa Rican, and I'm going back for a while. I live in California part of the year and here part of the year. He said, what are you going for? I said, ah, I thought you would never ask, Wolfgang. I am going, I'm going to Costa Rica to preach the gospel of Christ and to preach the Bible And to tell people about the Lord and to visit some missionaries down here. He didn't even act like he knew what that meant. And so I began to talk to this dear man. I never could get a a way to get into him. I said, uh, uh, finally, I just said, Wolfgang, what do you know about God? And he said, I believe God is nature. And when I get stressed out or when I want to just relax and I just feel like I need to look into myself, I go out and I take a walk in the mountains down here. It's so beautiful. And I look at all the of nature and the trees. And I, that's God to me, Pastor. And I said, well, Wolfgang, you know the very first verse of the Bible? You don't have to read very far. Genesis 1-1 says that there is an infinite personal being who spoke and created that nature that you go out there and enjoy. Have you ever thought about that, Wolfgang? No, I've never thought about that. Do you have any spiritual background? Well, I, you know, I'm German. I was born in Germany right after the, at, in the war, and they baptized me. And that's the sum total of this dear man's... Uh, relationship, or knowledge of God. And I tried to talk to him about the infinite personal God because that's where we have to start. You don't start with the gospel with a person who has no background, no foundation. You start with the most basic of all. There's an the infinite and personal God. And so we talked. Boy, I just liked the guy. He was such a nice fella. And we hit it off real well. He finally took a napkin, and he wrote on it his phone number. He said, if you need anything while you're in Costa Rica, you call this number, and I'll come. And uh, I hope I'll meet you. And I said, do you ever come to South Carolina? He said, well, every now and then I have been to South Carolina. I go, they have a conference on lightning strikes (laughs) and electromagnetic pulses and stuff like that. And I said, where have you been? Well, I've been to Charleston, and I've been to... Myrtle Beach, he had trouble saying it, but Myrtle Beach. And I said, well, the next time you come, you call me. I'm nearby, and uh, I'll buy you dinner for you. And so we just hit it off. We get to, to San Jose. We go to get our baggage. He said, my wife will be here. I want you to meet her. Her name is Edel. And I said, okay. Well, I got there, and he introduced me to Edel, and she hugs me. We stand there and talk a while. He gets his camera, and we take a selfie, all three of us. <laughs> and uh, we're just having a, a, a good time. He in walks John Barnes to the baggage claim. He meets him. He tells him, well, this man's going to preach for us this week. Uh, over at so-and-so, and he pronounced the name of the place. And Edel said, well, I was born in that community. I was born in that community. I know right where that church is, sure. And uh, John invited her. Not, I didn't think there'd be anything more come of it. Well, Thursday, let's see, Thursday, I, had, I was scheduled to speak to about 50, 60, 70 pastors, staff members, servants of the Lord. And I went to the church. And it was supposed to be an hour session. It turned into three and a half hours. And I walked out of there from 9 to 12.30. I spoke. I was tired. And then these guys would come up to me. And um, I talked to them about their church. I think there was one brother and we were praying together. And uh, I think I left there, you know, about 2 o'clock or something. I was, I was pretty used up. And I knew I had to preach. Well, I got in the car and John had a phone call from Edel. We're going to come to church tonight. Can you believe you meet a guy on the plane you've never seen before? My point is, it's our responsibility to sow. We never know who is going to respond. It was raining cats and dogs at 630. And I walked in the building not thinking they would, I thought, oh, they won't come. They are there, early arrivals. So they sit there for the services. And I, t- that night I was preaching on the Acts 2 church as a witnessing church. But I don't know why I felt so strongly led to put in an extra point. What are we supposed to witness? And so I took about 10 minutes and explained the gospel very, very thoroughly. That's what we're supposed to witness again about. There's Wolfgang and Edel. And, uh, boy, I prayed that he would be saved. Right before the service, she told me I was saved as a child in a Baptist church right around the corner from this one. My husband has never gone to church before. I don't know what you said to him, but whatever it was, he wanted to come tonight. And he heard the gospel. I would love to tell you that he got saved. He didn't. And we were saying goodbye about 9.30, and he hugged me. I said, Wolfgang, I hope you're going to receive Christ. Now, you've heard what is involved. You've heard the gospel. And he looked at me in his way, and he said, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I don't it was like he kind of blew me off, you know. It was kind of like, um, yeah, I've heard that. And I, I'm, I've gone as far as I'm going to go tonight. I don't know. John has his phone number and his address. He's going to follow up with him. That day I had had those preachers pray, about 50 or 60 preachers prayed. I told them the story of meeting him on the plane. And I said, guys, I want all y'all to pray for him. He's promised to be here tonight. When I saw the rain, I didn't think he would come, but he did come. And um, I hope you'll pray for Wolfgang. Now, I got on that plane. I try to witness to people who are on the plane with me. One thing, they cannot get away. <laughs> they're roped into right beside me. So they have to talk to him. and you know, I'm going to be so nice, they're going to, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to represent the Lord well. But, uh. I sowed seed. It's not my responsibility. I can't guarantee the crop. But there won't be a crop if we don't sow, ladies and gentlemen. And the story proves this thing to me. Even in this church, there's an attitude that's developed in the last few years, and it's, it's, it's awful. It's absolutely contrary to what God has said for us to do. We are so sensitive to people's feelings that we won't take opportunities that God gives us. And I'm going to tell you what that does. There is nothing worse than letting people sit beside us, live in our neighborhoods, be all around us. And we're so politically correct and sensitive to their what might be an offense to them and usually is not. We're so sensitive to that that we remain silent. And we let those people perish without knowing God. I'm confident this man's never heard the gospel in his life until that night. And he's past 70 years old. I'm confident of that. He did not have one clue about it. He lives in a totally secular world. It was a UN conference on lightning strikes. Don't you think they glorified God there? A crowd of secularists, scientists, brilliant people. And yet, Something about that gospel message was so winsome, it touched him. It wasn't Bill Monroe. It was the message. It's the power of the gospel of Christ of which we must never be ashamed. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Do you have opportunities to witness for him? Then you pull back because I wonder what they would think. It doesn't matter what they think if he would have become angry at me and turned his back and never spoken to me another word the rest of that flight, what difference did it make? You can't lose anything you don't have. And at least he would have been given a chance. But as it is, he's heard the truth of the Word of God and he's an intelligent man and it has a chance to eat away at his mind and his heart and the Holy Spirit speak to him God has John Barnes there, not too far from him, to go and talk to him. Who knows but what that man will sit here in one of these pews one of these days, and I'll see him again on this side. Or who knows that he may not ever get here, but he'll be in heaven, and we'll know him through eternity. My point, it is our responsibility to sow. We never know who will respond or in what way. It pays to witness. We never know what God is going to do in people's lives. Who would have thought you could meet a stranger on an airplane and four days later, a man who is a total secularist would walk into a Baptist church in Costa Rica, but he won't if if I had been silent. Mark Cahill said it better than it's ever been said. Witnessing is not a presentation, it is a conversation. When we start presenting, we become salesmen. We control people, and they resent it often. But when we just talk to people about their needs and out of our heart, but we know we're going to get to the gospel, when we do that, God can use that. I walked off of that plane thinking, I didn't accomplish a thing with this man because I never even got to the full plan of salvation. I was trying to establish with him that there is a God That's about as basic as you can get. I gave him the arguments for the existence of God. So you don't know how God's going to use the seed. Don't second guess what God can do, ladies and gentlemen. And you can never witness to the wrong person. It's not going and making a presentation where you got your points and you don't want to stop. It's talking to people out of your heart but getting to the gospel, weaving the gospel in. Number two, there's one other thing I learned. Be available, because you never know when, where, or how God will use you. Sort of the same thing, but I needed a second point to have a message. So I preached to a church in uh, San Jose and that Sunday morning I was there, and I preached at that youth camp church. Chris and the kids will identify with that about four or 500 people there. And uh, I preached on a sermon I've used here maybe more than once. What is Christianity? The idea that Christianity is more than a religion and it's more about, and it's more than a personal relationship with Christ. Christianity is a worldview. It's a way of looking at life that interprets all the events of life. And Christianity answers all the ultimate questions. Where did I come from? Who am I? What is my purpose while I'm here? Where am I going when what's on the other side? It deals the ultimate, deepest questions of human experience. It answers them. I preached on that. Sort of an apologetic message. I was standing at the front talking to various people who had come up and speaking through John, who was interpreting for me. And a family walked up. And I could tell they were Americans the way they looked and, and, and so on. They, they just stood out as Americans. And the man came over and said, hello, pastor. I'm so-and-so. I'm from Denver, Colorado. We're on vacation here. And I chatted with him. What do you do? He said, I'm a, I just retired a few weeks ago from the Denver police force. I worked undercover in narcotics and all the bad, he said later to me, I've seen a lot of nasty stuff. And I retired. I have a bad case right now, a PTSD. And we just decided we'd come down here and spend a little time. But it's interesting, they would introduce you from South Carolina. I've been thinking about moving to South Carolina. And I said, well, mark Florence on the map when you think about it. And his wife then came over, and she began to talk to me. And she talked to me about the message. She didn't talk about Denver and police work. She said, Pastor, we've got a teenage girl. She's a senior. We homeschooled her to try to teach her God's Word until she was a senior through her 11th grade. And she had friends, and they were all putting the pressure on us to let her go to a public school. It was supposed to be an outstanding public school. It's a charter school in Denver. And we thought, well, that'll be a good school for her, and so we sent her there. She said, Pastor, another reason we're on this trip is we want to do something together. She said, we're losing our daughter. In one year, we're losing her. She has bought into this whole new worldview, this atheism and skepticism and unbelief she got it at that school it's a good school educationally in some ways but boy she's got some teachers there that are anti-christian and she said she's questioning everything everything we have ever taught her she's asking us questions about it and she's telling us i don't know if i believe the bible anymore i don't know if there's a god she just went on and on And she said, I know why we came to Costa Rica, for me to hear that message, because the very questions you answered, my daughter has been asking, where did we come from? What is the purpose of life? Where, what's on the other side? What will happen when we die? Is there a God Those ultimate questions, those are exactly what my daughter is asking us. And you helped us so much today, and you encouraged us. She began to get emotional. I've never seen the people. Denver, Colorado. I'm in Costa Rica. They're in Costa Rica. Do you not see the hand of providence of God guiding people? to hear a message that was the exact message that they're dealing with in their family right now? Again, I want to take me out of it as much as I can. I'm just a pawn on the board that I allow God to use me. If it would have been you, you could have told her the same things. It wasn't my special talent in any way. She said the girl didn't want to come. We made her come this morning, dra- kicking and screaming, dragging her feet. But she had to sit here and listen to that. And the woman hugged me and said, oh, thank you. you. God gave you exactly what we need. Be available. You never know when or where or how God will use you. Now, I've got just a few minutes. Open your Bible. That was the introduction. Now the text today, (laughs) the book of Acts, chapter five. Acts chapter number five and verse fourteen. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches. The power of God so great at that time that the, at, that the shadow of Peter passing over those people would bring healing to them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about to Jerusalem bringing sick folks with them, which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, everyone. And the religious establishment re- reacts, the religious swamp Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation, anger. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them out, the apostles, and said to them, Go, stand and speak in the temple in a public square to the people, all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning, and they taught but the high priest came and they that were with him and they called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. And the officials went into the prison and found them not saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened the doors, we found no man within. They didn't know that they'd been miraculously uh, delivered by the angels. When the high priest and the captain of the temple and the the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. They said, oh my, something has started here we can't control. Then came one and told them, saying, behold the men who you put in prison are standing over there in the temple right now teaching the people. And then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they would have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we clearly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Everywhere we go in this town, you folks are there witnessing and teaching and preaching and speaking to people, conversing with people. You have filled the city with your doctrine. That's our theme. That's what the scoreboard's about. And tomorrow night we start. And uh, we're going to gather here for a few moments at 6.30. We're going to let people pick out a card that has a street name on it. And they take that street and they commit to knocking on every door on that street. If the people are home... We have a conversation, not a presentation. We invite them to our church, and we give them a bag full of seed. Sowers have seed. And the seed, we got about 25,000 seed packets. And it has the book of John and Romans, so you're putting the Scripture into that home. And we're putting the Romans plan, the Romans map to heaven into that home. And we're putting a nice... Colorful brochure, it tells them about all the wonderful programs that our church offers to families. And you're giving a little brochure, it tells them if they would like to enroll their children in a Christian school environment. And that's all that all came from that passage of scripture, that whole strategy, that plan, that concept. Go over to Acts chapter 20 with me, if you will, please, quickly. If you think this is not a biblical methodology, Acts chapter 20, verse 20. The Apostle Paul said, well, let's back up to verse 19. He said, I've been serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the line and way of the Jews. I kept back nothing which was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and I have taught you publicly and from, say it with me, house to house. Paul did the same thing Filling the cities with the gospel of Christ. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses do it, and the Baptists said, uh, Oh, we'll quit doing it because they do it. And the Mormons do it, but we quit doing it because they do it, but it's good biblical methodology. Oh, I'm afraid somebody opened the door I know and I'd be embarrassed. They'd think I'm a fanatic, they'd think I'm a nut. Well, I know people think I'm a nut, but I'm screwed on the right bolt. I'll tell you that. And my point is this. We can't let the fear of people drive our lives and control us and inform us. My soul, look at the world out there. The people in charge of it haven't done such a very good job, I'll tell you. And so here we have God's solution and we have hope, the hope of the gospel of Christ. And so we just knock on doors, be so nice to people that they think they've met an angel, invite them, hand them the seat packet if they're not home, hang it on the doorknob and leave. Anybody can do that. Is it effective? Oh, we've convinced ourselves you can't do that anymore. I heard a man in this church. I don't know if he's here this morning or not. I don't want to look now. He said, I don't want anybody bothering me when I'm at home. So what he meant was, just just let the whole town go to hell because we don't want to be bothered. That's really great rationale, isn't it? Hmm. I don't want to be bothered at home either. But boy, if I were lost and had no hope, I might be very thankful that somebody would care enough for my soul. If they would knock on the door, not be obtrusive, be so nice and kind to them, hand them a bag of material that would invite me to a church that is distinctive for the gospel of Christ. Is it effective? Oh, everybody else thinks it is, but the churches. When was the last time Baptist churches ever did this? I don't know. The world believes it's effective. David Rask, come up here a minute, just if you will. I got David here. He told me something the other day, and I thought, wow, what a story. David's been around here a long time. David, you come close because he'll need to hear you. Okay. David's been around here since he was just a young pup. He was a teenager when you came here, I guess, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And David for years was a pharmaceutical salesman, and then he decided to go into the financial services industry, and he's taken a position with Edward Jones. Now, Edward Jones has 10,000 offices around the United States. There's six or seven here in town, and I guess a, a bunch of them. And they, they sell investments, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, what have you. And David went to St. Louis and got some training, I think. Yes, I did. That's how you started. I did. And then you came home. What did they tell you to do, David? Well, the first month we go out um, right after we get our initial training, and we're required to go out and knock on doors. What? And knock on doors. Knock on doors. Knock that's doors. That's what I thought you said. Like <laughs> actually knocked on a lot of doors. Uh, I knocked on around 500 doors over the course of a month. I knocked on some of your doors, I'm pretty sure. And um, we were required to meet about uh, come back with about 300 names. So. so you knocked on hundreds of doors. Since then, you've knocked on even more. Oh yes, it's part of what we do. And the idea is, if you knock on enough doors, it's effective enough that somebody is going to respond. Right. You know, that I met face to face at doors. is an extremely personal uh, thing that we do with people with their finance. So as an individual investor, we want to meet them at their at their homes. That's the only way to do it. And so they actually assign you a quota in order to qualify to open your office. Mm-hmm. Amen. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, David, thank you. you I wanted that testimony. No well I, Monday I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you though When David told me, I said, What are you doing, David? Because I knew he's getting his office going. He said, I'm knocking on doors. They require me to knock on enough doors that I'll find at least 300 people who show interest. Now, the church doesn't believe on doing that. Oh, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But the people who want to make money, they don't mind doing it. Have I made my case? Have I made my case? Yeah, I sure have. The cults do it. Business does it. All the politicians do it. How do you get to people? And that's the task of the church. How do we get our message to people? They're not going to come here. They're not, just, they're not going to just drive by the church and get under conviction and come here. They must be sought, and they must be brought And they must be taught. And to the degree we do that, we're like the Acts 2 church. And to the degree that we don't, we are not. It's that simple. What are our options in this world where skepticism and atheism reign? We don't have any options, folks. And we need you to do it. If you've never done it before, we'll send you with somebody. But we can't We can't ignore the multitudes of people that live in our area and around church. The average home in Florence this morning, people are still indoors or they've gone somewhere to the lake or something. The car hasn't moved down the driveway. And we meet here every week. It's not like that for everyone. And our Lord has said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to that my house may be. God wants a full house every time we open. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are bowed.